Everybody I meet wants to be successful. I don't think I've ever met a person in my life who said, you know what, I wanna fail. I wanna be a failure. No, we all want to be successful. Someone sent me this this week, it's a list of the seven keys to success by a counselor by the name of Dr. Lawrence R. Samuel. And here's what he says after his years of experience of what he sees to be the seven keys to success. It's not a bad list, it's pretty good, check it out. The first one, first key, is to reject the model of money, power, and fame. That's not bad. And maybe you won't get slapped in the face. Number two, (laughs) avoid comparison to others. Number three, take a holistic view of yourself. I like that. The fourth key to success, celebrate your victories no matter how small. Number five, accept failures. Number six, prioritize relationships. And number seven, leave something behind. Now, let's talk about number five. Let's highlight number five. Because most people I've met at some time in their life have failed. Let's see a hand of those of you out there who have failed before in your life. Most all of us have failed. There's a few perfect people here. They're writing a book. I'm gonna buy it by goodness. We've all failed. And, And here's the problem that I've experienced with my own personal failures, and I've seen others' experiences too, so I don't feel alone, is that many times when you fail, You, first of all, this is deep, you may want to write this down, you feel like a failure and you tend to dwell on that particular failure and you dwell in the past. You regret over the past. You allow the past to cast a shadow over the present and the future. That's the danger of not accepting your failures. A friend of mine put it this way, Mark Dennison. This is a great quote. I wish I would have written this quote, but Mark wrote it, and it's, it's darn good. He said, in order to have a better future, you must quit trying to have a better past. It's pretty good, isn't it? In order to have a better future, you must quit trying to have a better past. So the past is the past. There's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do to change it, really. So what do we do about the future? What do we do about the present that will change our future trajectory? Because we all want to be a success, right? We all want to be a success. I want to be a success, don't you? 
you're a student, you want to be a success. In your career, you want to be a success. In your relationships, you want to be successful. But primarily, I believe, and a lot of us here uh, believe in God or following Him, I want to be a success. You want to be a success in the eyes of God Himself. So how do we do that? That's a good list of seven keys. But there's one word missing. One word that's missing that I think will be very, very important for us. Check it out. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We are studying Romans 8. Romans 8 is known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It may be the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. So the book is the Bible is the best-selling book in the entire world. It has sold billions of copies, been translated into thousands and thousands of languages. It's the most popular, best-selling book of all time. The best chapter, maybe the most influential chapter, possibly the greatest chapter in the Bible is Romans chapter number eight. So whether you are a believer, whether you are a skeptic, whether you are a seeker, I think it would behoove us all to understand a little bit about this greatest chapter in the greatest book in the world, Romans 8. 28. We looked at 28 last week, but I'll read it again for context. Paul writes, we know, as he wrote this letter, the book of Romans, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is working in your life. God is working in my life. God can even work in our lives and recycle the things in our lives that we hate, that are bad, that are negative, that are destructive. Verse 29. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Don't panic. Everybody, calm down. I know there are a lot of dense theological words in those few verses, and I want to define those words for us in a more pastoral and personal way, and then I want us to look at the one word I believe that God wants us to take away today that will help us understand what success really looks like. So let's go through these words that Paul lays out for us in these verses here. There's some interesting words. The first word is the word for new. It said God foreknew us or foreknows us. And really that word is a word of intimacy. It's a word of love that God loved us, that God knew us even before we came upon the scene. Then the next word is the word predestined. God predestined us. That means that God has decided beforehand to have his hand upon your life. Now there is an eternal mystery and a temporary mystery between the predestination of God and our own free will and human responsibility. God's word teaches both. Those whom God predestined, he decided beforehand, he called. And the word called there means the effectual call of God. Like, for so many people, you hear, you know, that you hear the gospel say, the good news about what God has done for you. And you hear the invitation, come and receive what God has done for you in Christ. You're the invitation that you must receive Christ. And maybe you've heard that your whole life. 
Maybe you went to church, you had a religious background, and somehow, some way, you heard this general call about you need to come to Christ. You need to trust in Christ. Or to use Baptist terminology, you need to get saved, okay? You've heard that, you heard that, but it didn't really hit you until one day you were at church, until one day you were alone in your room, until one day, all of a sudden, you hear a call, maybe not an audible call, but it's like God is specifically calling you by name. Joe, Mary, Suzanne, Mike, you need to personalize and own this. And God calls you by name. That's what that word called means. It's the effectual call of God. And then it said those who God called by name, he justified. Justified. Justified is a critical word. It means not only to be forgiven, when I come to God just as I am and say, God, I confess all of my failures, all of my sin, all of my stuff. I lay it out before you. God says, because of what Christ has done for you, I forgive you. But not only does he forgive us, check this out. He gives to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So basically, I go to God initially before him with a report card of righteousness that's an F, or maybe an F plus, okay? And when I trust in Christ and I'm justified, not only am I forgiven, I am given Christ A plus righteousness is credited to my account, okay? And this righteousness is external to me. It's outside of me. It's a righteousness that's not my own. It's Christ's very righteousness that's imputed to my account. It's like all of a sudden you go and check your bank account after this, and by golly, your money transcends, you know, Bezos and everybody's there. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? Not my money. That's what happens when we're justified. It's the righteousness of Christ that's transferred to us so we can stand before God now in the future without any shame, with nothing to blame because we're standing in his righteousness. That's why it's called amazing grace. Then the last word, glorified. Glorified means that one day, I will have, you will have, if you're in Christ, a glorified body just like Christ. He was the firstborn. He was the prototype to show us what it's going to be like. One day we will live in a glorified state where the eternal realm is merged with this earthly realm and we will live with them forever if we know him. That's what it means to be glorified. But in this entire passage, basically what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that what God started God's gonna finish. What God started in your life, God is going to finish it. God is a finisher, okay? And what Paul is doing, and I wish we had time, but we don't, he is talking about God's, I, I don't know, his eternal, omniscient plan for your life. He's reaching back into a time when there was no time, into eternity past, before there was space and time, He's talking about God in that realm. Then he's talking about how God works in your life and my life in space and time when he calls us and justifies us and conforms us. And then he goes back out to talk about to a future time that's out of space and time when we will be with him forever. 
So this is a really, you know, pretty heady, pretty wild passage. But again, the bottom line is the pastoral implications or the personal implications is this, is that God initiated new life for you. God has a plan for you, and this plan will not be stopped. It will be completed, okay? And that is good news. He just uses a few words that can be a little bit complicated. So, back to success. What is that one word that leads to what I believe is a successful life, a successful life before God and others? What is the one word to me that can summarize this heavy and weighty passage in Romans chapter eight. What is that one word? And it's the word tenacious. 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 Let's say that word together. Tenacious. Let's say that with greater tenacity. Ready? Tenacious, tenacious. What does tenacious mean? It means, these are the three definitions of tenacious. Usually when you read definitions of words, you know, you'll like one of the three definitions and they kind of get weaker. Not with tenacious. Check it out. First definition, tenacious means tending to keep a firm hold of something. Tenacious means clinging or adhering closely, not readily relinquishing a position, a principle, or a course of action. Determined, persisting in existence. Courage, mettle, spirit, resolution, tenacity, mental or moral strength, the ability to resist opposition, danger, and hardship. When you flip on the TV to watch CNN or Fox right now, you're watching a group of people in the Ukraine who are very Tenacious, tenacious, a persistent determination that will break through all barriers, all hurdles to achieve its goal. So, as Paul is drawing the goat to a conclusion in these last 10 verses, these last 10 verses are all about God's tenacious love. That's what it's about. As we've been singing about today, as God's word tells us today, it's about God's tenacious love. God's love is not ooey gooey. It's not based upon emotions and feelings and all that. Sometimes there are feelings and emotions attached to God's love. I'm not denying that. But God's love transcends that to what the writers of the New Testament call an agape love. A tenacious love. How does God show us his tenacious love? Well, we see it right here in his word. First of all, it says that you're known, we're foreknown, we're known by God. We're known by God. Do you ever feel like sometimes, you know, no one really knows me. You know, no one really fully gets me. 
God gets you. God knows you, and he knows you intimately, and that is a reflection of his tenacious love for you. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 139, 1 through 6. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. God sees you when you wake up. God knows the number of cups of coffee you drink before you drink them. What you're thinking, Ben, you've had too many of those. No, God knows. God sees you there. Sitting in traffic in the morning, God knows you and follows you to work. God is with you at lunch. God is with you in the meeting. God sees you when you're crying and hurting. God knows you. It's one of the things that makes God God. He knows you. Verse four, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Now, that's a scary thought and a whole different sermon. Let's skip to verse five. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me. I cannot attain it. It blows my mind. The psalmist goes on to write and says, you know, the number of thoughts that God has towards me, the number of thoughts that God has for you, if we would number them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. That is foreknowledge. That's an intimate knowledge. That's the knowledge of God. It's God's tenacious, a reflection of his tenacious love for you is the fact that you are known by God. We so want to be known, don't we? We so want to be accepted. We so want to be loved. But the God of the universe knows you. The God of the universe accepts you and has a tenacious love for you. He knows you. He has foreknown you. Number two, God also shows us his tenacious love because he pursues us. God pursues us. When I see that word predestined, I don't go, oh no, predestination, oh, I have no, no, no. Predestination means that God has had his eye on you. He has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Before you came upon the scene, God knew you. God had a plan for your life, and God wants you to experience his grace and love and power in your life. And he pursues you. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Don't, I don't need a show of hands. I'll just raise my hand. I have. I've tried to run away from God. And you know what I've discovered? God is a lot faster than I am. No matter where I've run, whatever I tried to hide, God pursues me. God pursues you. He pursues us. When we're hurting, when we're grieving, or when we've gone off track, God pursues us and he wants to bring us back on track with him. The Bible says in Romans, what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Before I came on the scene, God had done everything necessary for me and you to have a relationship with him. God pursues us. He calls us by name, by name. That knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty, isn't it? It's like a, go to a wedding, right? You go to a wedding and the minister will say, hey, you know, Mary, out of all the women in the world, Joe chose you. Out of the millions and millions of women, Joe chose you. He chose you. God chose you. God chose you. He chose you. Did you choose for God? Did you decide for him? Yes, but you chose and decided because God had already chosen and decided before for you. It's awesome. He pursues you. Also what? God transforms, transforms you. You're, you're known by God, you're pursued by God, and you're transformed by God. That's the proof of his tenacious love for you. What do the pastors say? He wants to conform us mold us to the image of his son. God's in the process of conforming us, of transforming us to the image of Christ. People like you, people like me, sinful people, selfish people, prideful people, angry people. God pursues us. God forgives us and God wants to transform all of that in our life. And God's, God's not finished with you yet. I know you're sitting by some people right now and you're thinking, I am so glad that he's not finished with them yet, right? <laughs> he's not finished with you either. He's not. God's in the business of transforming us, of, of changing us day by day, week by week, month by month, into the image of his son. And he does that in many ways. And, and one of the ways he changes us is through worship and gathering on Sunday. He changes us through daily prayer that we talk about all the time and reading God's word and then following what he's telling you to do in that moment, turning away from that selfishness, that sin, and that fear. God, day by day, moment by moment, is in the process of transforming us into the image of his son. This is yet another example of God's tenacious. Let's say that word again together. Tenacious, I love that word, tenacious love for you and for me. God, God didn't just call us and justify us, forgive us and give us his righteousness so we could just sit there and just do nothing. No, God wants to enter into a relationship with us and, and to change us and to transform us. That his life and love may be reflected through us as we live a different way of life. As we get connected to God's tenacity and his tenacious love for us. And that, that's what will bring us success, right? 
I've learned many things from my father, but one of the things I've learned from my father is this. He's always said this. He said, you know what the definition of success is? It's being in the middle of God's will. Being in the middle of God's will. And when we understand his tenacious love for us, that puts us on track in the middle of his will. He knows you. He pursues you. And he's still in the business of transforming you into the image of his son. (laughs) Broken people, sinful people, redeemed people, though, like you and me. Think about when um, my, my oldest daughter was just about 16 months old and we've given her this, 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 I don't know, it's like a, a baby treadmill. Okay? Because you got to start working on that baby fat early, right? So <laughs> got to have a six pack, right? Got to have it. So, <laughs> so when she was way past her time to play with the baby treadmill. She was about 16 months, as I recall. Nicole is her name. But Nicole would go and climb back in the baby treadmill. And she would play in there a while, and then she would, yeah, say something out loud like that, something really clear. And I would hear it, and I would go get her untangled and take her out of the treadmill. And an hour would pass or so, and then I would be doing something else, and then I would hear, ah, in the other room, and I realized that she was stuck in the treadmill. I would get her out. But the next day, she completely learned how not to get stuck in the treadmill and never did it again. No, the next day, she climbed in the treadmill, got stuck, and cried out. The next week, she did the same thing, and I kept coming and getting her untangled and taking her out of the treadmill. Why? Because I have a tenacious love for my child. And when I see her in trouble and I see her tangled, I want to come in as her father to help get her untangled. God the Father loves us so much more than we love our own very children. He loves us. And no matter where you are and what you're doing or how entangled you feel on your own little treadmill of life, God is coming to you. If you cry out to him to help you get untangled and to start walking again in his tenacious love for you. And that is success. Yeah.